Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bane, step back three. Bingo! Okay, welcome in to another episode of the Core Four on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. We're trying something a little different today on the show. I'm Matthew Gill. I'm going to be handling the hosting duties today, but I'm joined as always by David Buckler and Xavier Dotson on this special Labor Day edition of the show. Today, guys, we're going to be talking league expansion and Grizzlies defense, but Let's start here. There was some big news in the NBA, something that we had touched on last week. The Donovan Mitchell trade is now official. He is a Cleveland Cavalier. Cavs get Colin Sexton, Lori Markinen, uh, Ochai Abaji, three firsts and two pick swaps. Xavier, I'll start with you. Does this trade on the face, does it make the Cavs a contender in the East in your eyes? Uh, most definitely. They become an elite team in the East. You got that shot creator now in which that's what, what what the Cavs really needed I know mid-season this past season they traded for Karis LeVert for shot creator um he was a bit inconsistent so now you got Donovan Mitchell and you look at the, the trade they really didn't give up that much Colin Sexton of course it, they was sort of like moving on from Sexton Darius Garland has become a true playmaker he's that point guard that they really want now so Colin Sexton was basically out the future you had the success without your without your second best guy so yeah it's looking like yeah they were going to trade him you give up marketing um the rookie Ocha Abaje and then yeah three first round picks and two swaps um, you have your future of Jared Allen Evan Mobley and Darius Garland those are your three that, that was your three right there now to bring in Donovan Mitchell, man, oh man, they were <laughs> already, they were already elite with the pick and roll, pick and rolling you to death with the two big guys. Now you got the shot creator, um, somebody who's able to get to the rim and help Darius Garland in that backcourt, man. That puts them in that elite territory in the East. So I'm excited for them. I am very excited for the Cavaliers. Yeah, and when we had talked about it last week, I think your guys' um, fear with him coming to Memphis was the defensive aspect of it. But now that he's in Cleveland, right. he has, you know, two elite defensive interior guys to kind of bail him out, him and Garland both, who are not, you know, bigger guards. Um, Dave, you know, now the Jazz, it seems like their rebuild, tank, whatever you want to call it, is, is you know, full on. It's it's full go now. They, they've kind of stripped the, the Utah for its parts. But – um. That kind of leaves, you know, a, a Grizzlies favorite kind of waiting to see what's going to happen next. Is there anywhere that you want to see Mike Conley end up? And do you think he's got anything left in the tank to offer a contending team? I think the whole situation is so interesting because it was two seasons ago, two short seasons ago, Utah was number one seed in the West and really looked like a pretty competitive team. And now they've, they've stripped it down. And I, I thought if you look at the, the Rudy Gobert trade and now the Donovan Mitchell trade, I thought they got a lot of assets in return, a lot of draft picks. Uh, and and I, I sort of like Baji. I sort of like Walker Kessler, some of these young kids they brought in. I, but they're they're far from done, right? I mean, they're going to move Conley. They're going to move off some of these other guys. There, there's no need to keep Mike Conley at this point. I did want to add quick, though, I, I think from a Cleveland standpoint, it's a real message from the front office to this young team that we want to win. And I think that's pretty exciting. If I was a Cavs fan, that's what I want for my ownership, that they're going to go and try to win. It'll be very interesting to see his fit there. Mike Conley would be a nice piece on a lot of teams that, uh, but his salary to me, Matt, is a real problem. 
So how does he get moved on to a team that, that he can contribute, maybe not as the star point guard anymore? I don't think he's that level of player anymore. But how does he go to a team and make the salaries match? Yeah, the only the first thing that comes to mind is you swap him and Russell Westbrook, right? Like, I mean, that that makes the Lakers, in my opinion, a lot better. They just got Pat Beverly, you know, from that jazz team. So obviously they were in communication with each other. And, you know, so maybe that doesn't come to fruition. But something like that would make sense. And then, you know, you buy out Russell Westbrook, you know, at the end of this or, you know, towards the middle of this season or right when you get him, whatever the case may be. But I mean, Russell Westbrook alone. Um, flipping him for Mike Conley does does not drag the Jazz to the playoffs. I don't think it, it you know hurts their lottery odds by any and, means. And I'll be honest about it. I don't think it does much for the Lakers either. Man, I, I think Conley's a nice player. He's more stable, right? He would kind of fit into the system there a little bit. The problem with Westbrook is some of the personality issues that uh, we've seen. I mean, even like t- I think Miami would be a nice team for Conley, a, a team like that where he could come in there and play with some good veterans, a team that's going to go to the playoffs and he can make an impact. But the, the, I, the one guy I kind of felt bad for is like Baji in this trade uh, because I thought he went to a perfect situation in Cleveland and would have been a nice fit for them. And now he's going to a, a real classic rebuild situation. I just felt bad for him. Yeah, Baji was a guy I liked in the draft as well. Um, you know, looking at some of their other pieces, obviously Conley's there, but Bogdanovich is a guy that I've always really liked for Utah as well. Uh, Xavier, is that a guy that you would – you could see playing for this Grizzlies team if they were to make a move for him? Um, yeah, I do see the Grizzlies might be able to pull some strings and pick up uh, Bojan. Um, uh, he killed us in the playoffs uh, two years ago. He's a sniper, man. Yeah, a sniper in, in, in the 2020 playoffs. I mean, 2021 playoffs. But we're just looking to see, like, who are we willing to give up? Because Danny Ainge is being hungry with the first round picks. <laughs> Danny Ainge is being a grandfather right now, snagging these future draft picks. And I don't know if we're willing to actually give up those picks for him. Uh, you just have to see in the situation of where the season is taking us. If we're able, if we're comfortable and doing well with the guys that we have right now, I don't see what's the point of giving up a future first round pick for him. But um, I know contending teams are looking towards them. I know like the Lakers, they're really looking, they're hungry for anybody. Um, I've read as well that, that the Nuggets are looking for them. But a guy that I want the Grizzlies, they should out on for Utah is Rudy Gay. Have him a reunion back in Memphis. Um, of course, we still have that void of the starting power fourth slot. Rudy Gay coming off the Achilles injuries, he has been a consistent mid-range knockdown shooter, a, a good 10 to 15 points per game caliber player. Why not get a reunion back with him? I know the contract's got to match up. Probably we'll have to trade someone of like John, John Conchart in that, in that range. But I feel like if we throw something like Santi and maybe like a first round pick, if we desperately want another power four, why not bring Rudy Gay back? Well, you got to trade something to get something right. So that's an interesting trade you mentioned there. Xavier, the thing is that uh, I felt like the Knicks fell asleep at, at the wheel here a little bit. There was all these rumors about, you know, Mitchell's going to the Knicks. And it was almost like a fait accompli. Like, he's definitely going to New York. I love the fact that Cleveland swept in here and, and got Donovan Mitchell. I don't know if you guys were as shocked as I was when I read that headline. But turning it back to the Grizzlies, I think we have a front office that's pretty aggressive. And I don't think Memphis is going to fall asleep at the wheel. We have a very efficient front office. And if there is a deal out there to be made, 
maybe as we're talking about the jazz players here, I, I have confidence that we have a, a front office team that will do that. All right, guys. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting stuff. I mean, I can't wait to see this Cavs team now that they're, they've kind of loaded up and they, yeah, as you said, Dave, like they have their front office has sent a, a message that, Hey, we're, we're trying to win now. So uh, I'll definitely have my eyes on them for the regular season. It'll be good. Um, all right, let's move on to our uh, first segment of the day. All right, so we had a tweet from Xavier that kind of prompted this uh, next segment for us. Xavier, you tweeted that the NBA needs to expand right now, I believe is what you had said. Uh, and I think that that might have fired Dave up a little bit. So first, Xavier, why don't you tell us like what kind of prompted that tweet and what we, what um, what you were thinking when you uh, put that message out? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I was just re-watching – and um, the Chet injury, I'm sorry. I'm sad to hear that, see that. I, I wish uh, for a speedy recovery for Chet. But I, it was just ideally, I was just thinking like, wow, OKC might be not, they're not going to be in contention again. Of course, I mean, I don't think they was going to be in contention right away, even with Chet, but that was leaping towards progress. So I'm thinking like now, like they have all those draft picks. They have nothing but youth. There, there are guys, the, the team that they have right now, they don't have an identity. There are players, young guys, that's trying to be out there on the on the floor, trying to prove themselves that, like, I deserve a big payday or I deserve to be a star. So you don't have any identity on that team. And I look at surrounding teams of, like, the Magic, the Rockets, OKC. It's just filled with talented youth. So – it's eventually guys are going to be their growth is going to be stunned due to the fact they're battling against their peers um trying to be on the court so that's kind of come up with my idea of like we need an expansion draft we need to expand the nba is just filled with so much youth talent right now it's perfect and i mean nba as well like they've already dis they've been discussing like how much money they lost during the bubble how much revenue they lost during these past two seasons because of the COVID. Well, how can we, how can they solve that? An expansion draft, an expansion teams. It's already two places in mind that the NBA want to go, Las Vegas and Seattle. Yeah. Seattle showed out for that pro-am that Chet got injured. It was lined up for like two days prior for that, for that pro-am game. Um, and then, as well, it's just been a, it's been a long time since the NBA has expanded. It's 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 time. See, so, yeah, you know, I did get fired up about that, Xavier. And I'll tell you why. First of all, you're absolutely right. Seattle, Las Vegas are the two cities, and and Minnesota and Memphis should go to the Eastern Conference, which I would love because they would come to Washington D.C. and play more uh, during the regular season. And I am all for more jobs. I think it'd be nice if there were more NBA jobs. But I disagree with you on the quality of play. I mean, I don't I don't need more games between the 16th and 15th seed in the Western Conference. There's a lot of very average to below average teams. I don't think expansion improves that. I think that uh, some of these teams have exciting young players, but there's going to be a lot of mediocrity. Again, it's funny, in the offseason, there's always hope, right? Oklahoma City has a lot of young kids. Orlando, Houston, these teams, they have fun. Even Detroit, I sort of like their youth. But once the season starts grinding away and it's January and they're back in the bottom of the conference standings again, 
It's like, there's a lot of average basketball. I love watching a lot of NBA, but I don't necessarily need more average basketball. I go back to like when I was, you know, in the eighties, even before they went to Charlotte and they went to Minnesota, then it's, you know, and it's like, there were a lot of quality NBA players on those rosters. I think expansion has been good in general for the league to this point, but I don't really need more teams. I'm even a little hesitant for Seattle, Vegas, even though I like the storylines there. Well, okay. I'll argue this. So when I was saying that those teams are younger and they have youth, like you look at the, how their roster is put together. It's literally 25 and under no vets whatsoever. Recent uh, article, recent video just surfaced a week ago, how uh, J.R. Smith just stated that how he's been blackballed from the NBA, him, Jamal Crawford, Nick Young, oh, wow. Isaiah Thomas, they feel that they're blackballed from the NBA. And I sort of feel like now it's in two directions with the NBA. And now that's what, and you look at the Russell Westbrook situation, like it's no, it's no team that really wants him, but he's still a high caliber. He's not necessarily a high caliber player, but if you're not contending, he has that contract and no young team wants him <laughs> yet. Uh, any, no old older team really wants him, but he still can play. But I don't think I don't think expansion solves that problem. Well, I don't, I, <laughs> I don't yeah. think Seattle wants them either. I yeah, don't but, yeah, but what I, what I was going to say is these the younger teams still need vets. Yeah, a lot of these young teams need vets so they can create their identity. And I feel like if you do an expansion team, you have to draft guys that's in all different ages, not just youth. And I think that's going to help a lot of players become and and develop and identify themselves in the NBA. Yeah, it's definitely a youth movement, and uh, as you said, yeah, you kind of need those veterans, but when you go and you look at an expansion draft, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about here in a second, but, you know, I don't see a lot of teams giving up their young guys. I don't, you know, that's something that an expansion team is going to have to build out, um, you know, through the, the regular draft uh, over the years to come. You know, I think that it almost exacerbates the problem that they're going to only hold on to their young guys. And, and Orlando is a really interesting example because they do have so many young dudes without a whole lot of veterans, but they also are kind of like, they're, they all play the same position, right? Like they have Cole Anthony, RJ Hampton, Jalen Suggs that are all the guards that are kind of fighting for spots. And then Franz Wagner and, and Paolo are going to be fighting for spots now. And, you know, Wendell Carter is like their oldest big guy. And, you know, Mo Bombo still wants to get out there and play too. So, yeah, it's, it's really a struggle Bobo. to get any minutes. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, Dave, you brought it up. I had written it down. So, if those are the two locations, I mean, the Grizzlies have to go to the east, right? What – um you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to look at it long term and, and say where they would stack up in, in the east. But when I look at it, the west is so deep right now. And, you know, they have guys like Luca and possibly Zion who are going to be competing for a long time. The Warriors are built to contend for forever. Dave, do you think that the Grizzlies would benefit long term for being in the east? Personally, I would be fine with it. Like I said, because living in the D.C. area, I could go see them play in Philly, Washington. There's a lot more choices. They would come to the New York area a lot more. I think it would just be fun because uh, I don't live in Memphis. From a basketball standpoint, yeah, I think it would be good for them. Uh, I, I would like a few more games against the Charlotte Hornets and, uh, you know, against Atlanta Hawks and kind of the, the, the middle of the pack of the Eastern Commerce. I, I, to your point, the West – I think this year coming up with, with, with Denver getting healthy and the Clippers getting healthy and Minnesota's improving. I mean, 
I'm a little concerned about being able to replicate our success from last year and what our true window is to compete for a championship in the Eastern Conference would be better. Look at the National Football League. The NFC is not nearly as strong as the AFC. It's just not. Um, but I don't want to think, well, we can't win unless we go to the East. I mean, Xavier, is that kind of like running scared? Like, well, I hope we go to the East so we can play, you know, like Detroit a bunch. No, I don't think we're Memphis. We're not going to back down for any type of challenge whatsoever. But I do agree with you, though. I do feel that the Memphis does belong in the East in the near future. Um, I even feel like going back, if we were in the Eastern Conference during the Green Ground era, I feel like we would have made a finals run at least once, man, because we used to be able to take the Miami Big Three, I wouldn't say easily, but we would challenge them. So I look at at our past and and see if we were to be in the east now like yeah the grizzly it would be favorable for the grizzlies to have a, a run but i don't feel that we should back down and be afraid of the west um i know that the, these guys they're they're challenged they are always looking for a new challenge but like you were saying the west is becoming stronger and stronger it's always been a battle house so it in the near future, if the if we if the NBA expands, I've definitely seen Memphis Grizzlies going to the East right away. Yeah, and the, it, the only thing that I dislike about the the idea of them going to the East is they've you know they've just now built all these new rivalries back up, and the old ones are still there, just kind of the tradition of it. But that's what everybody's kind of arguing with college football right now, and everybody moving around. Uh, one last thing on this before we move on is there I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sold that Seattle is going to be. Uh, for sure, an expansion city. Sounds like Vegas is pretty much a lock. Um, they, you know, Vegas has had good success in the NHL, and you know, obviously, sure. the Las Vegas Aces of the WNBA big win uh, yesterday, and they've had a lot of success there. So it sounds like Vegas is definitely going to be happening. Is there any other place in mind that you guys had instead of Seattle? Because I could see the NBA going international with that second team. I, I've read, I've read articles. If if it was to go international, it would be down in Mexico. That's what I was thinking. Because uh, mm-hmm. I, I know they do want to go further, more towards Europe, and then like the audience in China. But it's just the travel arrangements. Is that's just too long. It's just too far, too far. But Mexico, I might see that happening. But I just feel that they want to bring it back in Seattle. But wasn't Vancouver even like back to the original expansion Grizzlies? That was a big travel problem too. I mean, that was a long trip out to Vancouver. I think Seattle, because of the new arena for the Seattle Kraken, has positioned themselves at least to be, you know, attractive. Although, interestingly enough, the timeline to win for expansion teams now has been accelerated. The Las Vegas Golden Knights went to the Stanley Cup final their first year, right? And so, like, when the Kraken went to Seattle last year, people were like, well, why, why are we not any good? <laughs> yeah, I have a good friend who lives in Seattle. He's like, the, the enthusiasm was confusing. They dropped, like, by the middle of the season because they thought, we're going to replicate the Golden Knights. I, I just think Seattle, with the Sonics history, with the new arena, uh, I think would be – uh, an attractive fit for the NBA. Uh, Mexico. Wow, I don't know. That'd be really interesting to go, uh, go go to the Mexico. I guess Mexico City. Xavier would be where you. Yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. It'd be super interesting. And they've obviously made a push to you know expand um, internationally and, and grow the product, which is always good. The the thing that really worries me about Seattle is you just have to find the right owner, which has been a checkered history for Seattle sports. I mean, that's why they lost the Sonics. That, 
Uh, the Mariners had some struggles for a while. The, the um, family that owns the Seahawks is, you know, flirted with getting out of that. And I believe they also own the Trailblazers. So it's just about finding the right fit and getting somebody in there. But now that they have that arena, if it's multi-use that they can use, then, um, yeah, Seattle's absolutely a viable option. But I just wanted to kick it out there for you guys. Well, one other point to that, Matt, I mean, it's interesting that you never hear like Baltimore, for example, mm-hmm. you know, that has the NFL and, and, and it has a baseball team. You don't hear some of these other cities as possible. It's Pittsburgh, which is a real supportive city of its football team. And uh, that, that these cities don't get mentioned for some reason, Seattle is the one that always comes up right or wrong. Yeah, I think it's just because everybody feels bad that yeah. they got their team taken. But, uh, all right, we're going to move on. We're going to be uh, talking a little bit more expansion here in the climbing corner coming up. Okay, down in climbing corner now. We just talked a little expansion. Now we're going to get into the expansion draft, guys. If you could protect eight guys from this Grizzlies roster going forward, in the case of expansion, who are some guys that you guys have your uh, sights set on? I'm assuming you guys both have the same top three. But, Xavier, I'll start with you. Who uh, who do you uh, see the Grizzlies keeping on if there was expansion to go on? Like you said, it's already a core three. We got job, we got Jaron, we have Bang. Those are, of course, the, the core that you got to build around. But, hey, it's – Five other players that you have to protect. So with me, I got to bring my insurance. I need my insurance, and that's Taj Jones. Oh, reliable. I'm bringing him. Clark, I feel like we're going to offer him a contract this upcoming offseason or during the season. I'm keeping Clark. Zaire. Zaire is my boy. Got to keep my my boy Zaire. As well, I want to see more. I want Kennedy. That's the Memphis native. I feel like that's the project um, after Ty is, I feel like after his contract is up, it's going to be Kennedy to be that backup point guard spot. And then last but not least, I got Roddy. Um, I feel like that he's the one that this upcoming, that we drafted, he's going to have the immediate impact. So those are my eight guys from there. It, I feel like that they're going to either trade those other guys or they they're free to let them walk away. So that's, that's, those are my eight players that I select. Yeah, right. well, I I, uh, I had um, written down which rookie would you protect, thinking uh, you guys would only have one, but Xavier with two of them right there off the bat. So, uh, David, what about you? Was there anything that stuck out to you about Xavier's list? And uh, let me know what, uh, what eight guys you want to see the Grizzlies protect. Yeah, this is hard, right? I mean, this is why these people get paid a lot of money to make these kind of decisions. Right? And it's interesting, we have a lot of depth in Memphis, but you start chipping away at certain play. Like if, if we would lose Tyus, you know, in an expansion draft, now we are a little thin in the backup point guard. And that's why it was so important they resigned him. But I left him off the list, honestly. My, my top eight, I had Jod, Jaron, and Desmond. Thank God we all agree on that, right? Um, I had Zaire Williams fourth. I mean, I, I like it to 6'9". I loved what I saw from him last year. I liked more what I saw from him as a human being, as a kid. He just seems like a hard worker and a grinder. And every time we would hear these trade things about maybe Donovan Mitchell or other, other areas where we might try to improve the roster, he was always kind of thrown into the trade because other teams like him too. I really hope we keep and develop him over the next couple of years. I love his skill set. I had Dylan Brooks. Uh, he's, he's frustrating. He's complicated. I, I love, you know, if we can get him integrated in the system, I still think he's a high-level player for us that I would like to keep. And maybe, as we've talked about before in the show, use as a trade chip. I love BC. I love Brandon Clark. And then I rounded it out with two rookies. I had David Roddy and Jake LaRavia. 
And the reason is because I really trust this front office. I don't love either of those guys, to be honest. I don't think either of them are home runs, but I like having young players under team controlled contracts and our front office believed in them for a reason to go get them in the first round. Unfortunately, in an expansion draft, you're going to lose someone of value. You know, Steven Adams is a a valuable piece of this team. You mentioned Tyus Jones. They were, I think they would be drafted in an expansion draft. Both those guys would probably be gone. And, and, and I just feel like some of the other pieces on the roster, Tillman and Aldama, et cetera, I would, I would be disappointed if they were taken in an expansion draft, but those were my eight. I, that, that's uh, a little bit different, uh, Xavier, but again, that's why we kicked this around, right? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why. Yeah, so David, you did not have Chandler or Tyus Jones on your list. Is that right? I, I did not. And I figured, you know, if we would lose both, we, we could find someone to be the backup point. The, the, what worries me is Jaw's health uh, out, of, out of anything else. We need a, a good backup point guard because if John Morant can't stay healthy, uh, th- then everything kind of crumbles down anyway. But I did not have either of those guys. Yeah, totally agree there. Yeah, but um, yeah, I feel like they, um, you gotta, as Xavier said, I mean, you need a little John insurance. So I think one or the other, you gotta, you gotta make sure you lock up. But yeah, I mean, um, it's a great debate. And um, so, yeah, so Steven Adams, neither one of you guys had him on your list. I had also written down, are all five of, you know, the, you know, the healthy starting lineup from last year safe? Dave only had uh, Dylan Xavier, no Dylan as well. So what what kind of goes into that thinking that you think that, um, you know, Steven Adams isn't a long-term fit for you guys? I just feel like with Steven Adams, you can find a replacement, not necessarily just a better replacement, but it's always somebody that you can feel put in that five spot. Um, like Steven Adams has a huge contribution to the, to the Grizzlies, but offensively he's limited. You just – out there to give you the rebounds. Yes, he brings the playmaking. He established his playmaking this past season. But rebounding and defending the bigger guys, you can find that with somebody else. Nerlens Noel, Hassan Whiteside, or and guys out there in the, in the in the market. So I just feel like that he's very replaceable. That's why I didn't keep him in my expansion. Yeah, yeah, Xavier, I agree with you there. And I think even you know plugging Xavier Tillman Senior in. You know, with, with a little more player development, he gives you a lot of the physicality that you get from Steven Adams. And I do think there are bangers in the league that we could go out and get to at least contribute uh, what Steven Adams brings to the table. It's interesting. If you look at Steven Adams' career, he had four years in the league where he averaged double-digit scoring. So it's not like he's completely incapable on offense. But I felt last year, and if we use our eyes, the eye test from the playoffs – he was out of the rotation, essentially. I know there was COVID concerns in the Golden State series, but I, I just you – know, we have to make choices, right? And and unfortunately, some guys here fall off the table. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Those two positions that you guys mentioned, the, point, the backup point guard and the center position, both of those seem to me like the easiest things to find. You know, you're not going to find another Tyus Jones very often, but, you know – those are replaceable uh, minutes and, and spaces on an NBA roster year in and year out. There's always point guards and there's always big men that you can uh, fill the rotation with. So, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I guess, you know, maybe by 2026 we'll figure out if uh, if this expansion draft is actually going to be needed. But, um, all right, for now we're going to move on and uh, we're going to go see what's up in Xavier's X's and O's. <laughs> Okay, now in Xavier's X's and O's, we're going to be talking a little defense today. Xavier, uh, no Jaron to start the uh, start of the season for the Grizzlies. 
um, and a couple guys depart in free agency. How are the Grizzlies going to be able to keep up their defensive output from last year? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, what made the Grizzlies bread and butter in this past season was an elite defense. Even going back to the grid and grind days, their defense was the number one defense in the league. That's what makes the Grizzlies elite. That's what makes great teams great. Defense, defense, defense. So what's going on without Jaron Jackson for the first probably two to three months? What? Are, how is the Grizzlies still going to maintain a, a great defense? Well, I think it's going to rely heavily on the perimeter guys. Ja, Bang, Dylan, they all have to step up. You got you can't be beat off the dribble because you don't have the backup of Jaron being there to block the block the shots. So now you're gonna have to play a lot of help defense. Being able to have your rotations at the correct angles and being able to communicate on the court. You can't allow guys to blow by you and get to the rim and put Steven Adams or whoever in that power four position in foul trouble. So I'm really looking forward to John Morant stepping up, playing the passing lanes, using his length, and as well, I feel like I want to challenge John Morant to average a block a game because he, uh, NBA, the NBA just posted their top their top 50 best defensive plays this past season. That John Morant block that he did on Avery Bradley <laughs> was number two. He has the athleticism to average a block a game, and he reminds me of a like how Dwayne Wade used to do to chase down blocks each game. I really feel that John Morant can do that. So if you have John Morant averaging a block coming off the weak side help, he has the athleticism to do it. I feel like they'll still put – they'll keep the Grizzlies in the the top ten range in defense. And once you bring Jaron back, hey, you will be the uh, same elite defense that you had the season before. So that's why I'm looking forward for the Grizzlies, the perimeter the wings to step up and be an, and, and, and rely on them. Yeah, it's really interesting. We had success last year defensively, but I think that to maintain that, you have to have stability in the roster and you have to have health. Because you talked about, you know, the perimeter guys. There weren't many games last year where we had Bain, Moran, and, and Brooks in the lineup. And I think that you can offensively overcome some of these things because these guys are so supremely talented offensively but the cohesion that it takes to play high level world-class defense to stop that level of offensive talent it it takes several years in the system it takes total buy-in and I think it takes a lot of health with the roster so some of it's to me it's going to just be good luck we got to get Jaron back do you have an update either of you on how he's doing I haven't heard any new updates like I said I've I saw on his little TikTok video, he had a quote by Draymond Green saying about this past playoffs, about Draymond Green talking mess about the Grizzlies. He had that circle on his, like, calendar board. So a lot of people have speculation that he should be back before the Christmas game or he's aiming towards that Christmas game. Yeah, it's really, really important. I mean, if we can just stay healthy, I think everyone is committed to the defensive end. And I think that we'll do enough. Last year, 12th in points allowed. We uh, we all know that steals and blocks, we were first. But one of the issues I thought was we were 11th in offensive rebounds allowed. I'd like to see that improve and not give up some second chances on the glass there. Uh, But, Matt, uh, taking what Xavier and I are saying here, what do do you think uh, the the next season defensively, how we're going to look? Yeah, I – you know, I 
want to see Ja take a big jump. That would be nice. And I'm sure that the the front office and the coaching staff has, has run through that with him as well. And I think it'll be a point of emphasis. It's going to be interesting to me early on, what does the interior defense look like so much more? Um, you know, I, I, I would want to get your guys' take on it. But, you know, I don't really see Steven Adams as a huge rim protector and, and filling that role of Jaron. So that kind of leaves Brandon Clark uh, with some responsibility to kind of step up there as well um, to kind of – protect them on the interior uh, with no Jaron as well. And then, uh, Xavier, tell me what you think about Zaire Williams as a on-ball defender. They kind of deployed him a couple different times last year on some stronger offensive players. But I think Zaire has some pretty good upside potential as, as being an on-ball defender, and I think we'll see a lot of that early in the season. Yeah, I, I, I was very impressed by Zaire's on-ball defense this past season, especially coming from a rookie to take those challenges and guard – the best, the opposing team best perimeter player. You look at the past playoffs, he was guarding Stephen Curry and he was doing a pretty good job. So I really think that his growth and he he has to uh, increase his foot speed a bit. But I mean, again, he was just a rookie this past, past year. He's going to do nothing but get better. So I feel like he's going to be that guy to to challenge the opposing team best defender you want Zaire to guard him he has the length he's 6'9 probably has like almost a seven foot wingspan guys are it's going to make it's going to be difficult to score against Zaire he's going to have make guys frustrated so I, I look forward to Zaire growth and development this upcoming season and seeing him being a, a possibly a, a, a all defensive team player in the future yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, a 20-year-old kid, right? And he didn't really get a lot of time in college. COVID really hurt his, I think, his development. Didn't play a lot at Stanford, as we know. And I think you're absolutely right. His length is tremendous. I just love the way he carries himself and the way he came in last year and did whatever the coaches asked him to do. If he could take that next step defensively and, and, and with the other guys we have on the team, that would be pretty special. Yeah, and with the departure of Melton and Kyle Anderson, like he automatically is going to have more opportunity, and we'll see if he can step it up on the defensive end, which I think, you know, Kyle and, and D'Anthony Melton were two of the best defenders on the team, especially on the perimeter. And, you know, in today's NBA, that's one of the most important things is being able to guard bigger wings, and we'll see if uh, Zaire can step up and, and, and fill that role for them. Um, all right, and we are going to wrap up the show here with a little bit more defense talk in the over-under segment. Okay, still talking defense here on the core four. A little over-under segment here to wrap up the show. Starting out here, guys, uh, we're going to be looking at team defense here. Uh, if you look at the defensive rating from last year, you know, the Grizzlies finished fourth behind Golden State, Boston, Phoenix. So I'll set that over under for you at four and a half. So, you know, the question really is, do we think that the Grizzlies are going to have another top five um, defense in terms of defensive rating with teams like Miami was right behind them last year. Uh, the Clippers obviously going to get Kawhi back at some point and their defense will improve while the Grizzlies are going to be missing Jaron, obviously, as we just talked about. So uh, over under four and a half, where do the Grizzlies stack up in the defensive rating department for next season? Xavier, I'll start with you. I have them under most likely they'll be a top 10 team, but without Jaron for the, for the start, that's going to hurt them. Not significantly. I feel like they'll fall in a range of 10 to 15 without Jaron. But once they bring Jaron back, they'll probably be a top 10 team defensively 
Dave. So you said it at four and a half. I agree with Xavier. I don't think I don't think there'll be a top four defensive team in the league and and, and missing Jaron. And you know, we, we not only the number of games, right? It's like when he actually does come back, it takes some time to get integrated back into the team structure and to back to playing that high level. Now, what really matters is where we are at the end of the year playing defense. It, it, it the, the numbers are great, but we want to be playing like a top four ranked defense by the end of the year. Hopefully we have the personnel to do that, but I do think the injury to Jaron's a problem. The other thing too, is we've become sort of a flashy offensive team that like we've never seen in Memphis before. And we push the ball down the floor and we love, you know, the highlight plays. I hope we don't skew a little bit too much to like trying to get out and push all the time to make, to make those kind of highlight level plays and, and start slipping a little bit. What, what is the blueprint of this team? Yeah. I mean, you, you push the tempo like that. It can uh, also benefit the other team as well. And it's not just Grizzlies, um, you know, dependent it's these other teams are going to get better defensively yeah. too, while, while the Grizzlies are going to struggle uh, as well. You brought up Jaron and the amount of games that he's going to miss obviously, but, I got a great over-under for you guys here. I've set it at seven and a half. Where is Jaron going to stack up in the defensive player of the year um, voting by the end of the year? I set it at seven and a half because that's where Rob Williams finished last year at seventh in the defense player of the year voting. And he only played 61 games, which I think is um, possible for Jaron this year. So um, seven and a half for Jaron defensive player of the year and, and, and kind of what you guys think is kind of the, the threshold for how many games he's got to play. So Marcus Smart won it last year, right? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of an interesting award, you know, anywhere he's a guard and he's being judged against centers. And, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I think when you say seven and a half, I don't think he's going to be in the top seven. He's going to miss too many games. And, and when he comes back, it's just, again, this integration period, he's going to get comfortable again. Hopefully he stays healthy the rest of the year. If we got 61 games out of him, like you mentioned, I'd be thrilled. Uh, I, but I think – more importantly than where he ends up is where the team just comes together again, like I said, at the end of the season. I don't think he's – even last year he was fantastic and he had to really struggle for that recognition. To, to be on the offensive team, it was like, oh, my God, they finally realize how good he is. So I'm going to go under on the seven and a half. Xavier. I'm going to do the opposite. I'll go over. Um, I'll, and this is due to the fact if the Grizzlies are struggling off the gate being a, a great defensively, and Jaron comes back and he makes a drastic change. I, we have the national television um, coverage now. So every, everybody's looking and watching. And so they see, wow, Jaron's coming into the game, blocking so many shots. He's making an impact defensively. Now they're becoming great defensively. That's going to boost him up more, more, more. So it just all depends. And then, like, like you were saying, Dave, at the end – it, it, it all comes down at the end. It doesn't matter what the stats say. We want to be playing like a top five defensive team by the end of, of, of the regular season, heading towards the playoffs. But I do, just do think with the national coverage yeah. and then depending, like Jaron was a top five deep boy ranking player this past season, missing him, we're going to miss a lot of his defense. So if we don't know if the Grizzlies are going to maintain that same caliber defense that they had last season without Jaron. So I'm I'm looking forward to him being that guy coming back into him. He was a deep point caliber player last year. He's going to be top seven, most likely. I love the point about national TV. That that's a good point. That, that the team will get more exposure and some sizzle that way, right? Yep, yep, yep. To see, get to see it. 
Yeah, because yeah, because you don't really need the national TV thing for for jaw, right? Like the offensive stuff is going to translate on social media and stuff like that. But you do need the national recognition um, for some of those defensive things, right? Like you have to have people watching you night in and night out. So I think it's a really good point to make. And we know like he has the talent to be a top seven defensive player. It just comes down to how they'll vote it um, for the defensive player of the year, uh, you know, based on games played and you know, how he looks uh, once he comes back. But, yeah, we know he has the talent to be a top guy like that. Uh, and then third uh, over-under for us here, rebounding ranking. Uh, the Grizzlies were one of the best rebounding teams in the entire league last year. Um, Xavier, you know, you talked about it uh, before. And it was really a, a huge key to their uh, success. I'm going to set this one at four and a half again. So are the, are the Grizzlies going to have a top five? rebounding team they have no Jaron to start the year obviously who was second on the team in rebounds per game and no Kyle Anderson at all uh who was fourth on the team in rebounds per game so where are the Grizzlies going to stack up in your eyes Xavier um as a rebounding team this season um I still think they're going to be a top rebounding team I don't think believe probably like top four top five uh, you look at statistically, yes, Jaron is our second best rebounder, but he's just not a strong rebounder. He's not averaging a double double every game. We have, we still have our best rebounder, in which is Steven Adams. He's gifted offensively. Brandon Clark, Ripper Rue, he's great offensively, uh, getting the offensive rebounds. I, and then the Grizzlies as well, they just do a great job co- collectively team rebounding. During the playoffs, John Morant almost averaged a triple double. He was collecting so many rebounds per game. He has the raw athleticism. Rebounding is very important defensively, but I still feel like we'll probably be a top 10 rebounding team in, in the league. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this, uh, Xavier. I think we're going to be top 10, but I don't think uh, we're going to be above your four and a half on the over-under here. And I think that might be okay. I don't think we have to be the best defensive team in the league to get where we want to go this year because we do have a lot of offensive weapons. I really like the, uh, the ability to score the basketball – but as long as we're healthy and playing good, smart team defense, if you think about rebounding in particular here, though, Matthew, it's really an attitude. I always thought rebounding was an attitude. And if the team buys in, they'll be just fine. If we're top 10 in rebounding, offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding, I think that we will be a very successful team this year. Yeah, it's, it's definitely all attitude. And, and, and as Xavier was talking about, you can even make the argument that Brandon Clark may be a better rebounder than Jaron. And, you know, he just averaged more because he had more opportunities. So um, we will see. I think that they're going to be fine. As you said, I don't think they have to be the, their number one rebounding team to have success this season. And Steven Adams does a lot of that for you. You know, he takes care of a lot of those problems. And that's a huge part of finishing out defensive possessions. Uh, last over under for us here, we're looking at points per game. Uh, last year, the average uh, for the Grizzlies was right about 110. It was like 109.8, somewhere around there. So this over-under is at 107 and a half, guys. Um, last year, they were 12th in the league. 107 would be uh, good for 7th in the league last season. So, you know, that would move you up inside of that top 10. So what do you guys think? If they can make those adjustments that Xavier told us about, are they going to av- or allow uh, over-under 107 and a half points per game? Dave, I'll start with you. Uh, I think they're going to uh, give up more than that uh, on average. I think it's because the Western Conference is is better. The Clippers are going to be a much better offensive team. The Denver Nuggets going to be a much better offensive team. You could argue, but Utah is going to be worse. So uh, in general, though, the, the, the theme here I think we've hit on a couple times is we're going to have to wait and see the impact of Jaron Jackson's injury. And if he's only going to miss a few weeks, it's going to be fine. If his, if his extended absence goes into 2023 – and he can't get comfortable, these defensive numbers are going to slip. 
Xavier? Yeah, yeah, I agree with Dave. Um, most likely, um, the opponent points per game is going to go up. Um, like like Dave was saying, we don't know how long that Jeremy's going to be out. Even when he does come back, it's not like he's going to be game ready, being that defensive player of the year mm-hmm. player right away. Uh, guys, they're going to – they're still learning the new plays, new – rotations and whatnot we have a lot of rookies so they're going to be relying on a lot of guys that really haven't hasn't had the nba experience right away to play great defense so i feel like yeah that's going to hurt our numbers statistically but like what they've been saying it's all about the end of the season if we're playing at that elite rate by the end of the season the numbers really does not matter does not matter but yeah the number of course the numbers are going to go up I just want to add one thing to, to that, Xavier. I think you, you mentioned the rookies. It's so interesting. And they all have unique talents. But I don't think that we would say for any of them, defense is the number one drawing card. Like, for example, Mark Williams went to Charlotte. He, you know, he's a giant guy and plays very intimidating defense. We'll see how it translates in the NBA. But I don't see the replacement for Jarrett coming from the rookies defensively. They can be very helpful in other areas, spreading the ball around, three-point shooting. But the focus of the draft was not on rim protection. You're right about that. Yep, you can hurt. Yeah, I think David Roddy probably has the highest upside defensively, but I don't think we're going to see that this year. But, you know, just just going off body type, right, like he can can switch around on a lot of different guys uh, inside and out. Um, But, yeah, a couple overs there uh, from both you guys. To close out the show, that is our show. Great episode, guys. Uh, thank you all, the listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Core Four, the show for hardcore Memphis Grizzlies fans on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. Another great episode, guys. Xavier, why don't you uh, plug your socials for us real quick? Yes. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Zaytime Takes, and then you can find my TikTok page at underscore XZAY. Dave? You can find me on Twitter at DLB19338. Great to be with you guys today. Yeah, absolutely. Another great show. And be sure to follow us on Twitter as well, the uh, show account, which is the Core 4 Podcast uh, as well. So be looking out for that. Uh, That's where you'll get all of our updates, see a couple good clips uh, from the episode as well. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in again, and we will talk to you next time. Stolen by Marin. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.